Our epistle reading is from Romans chapter 7 and is the basis for today's sermon. Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, and if she marries another man, then she is not an, an, an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we may serve in the new way of the Spirit, and not in the old way of the written code. What shall we say then? That the law is sin? By no means. Let, yet, if it had not been for the law, I would, have no, I would not have known sin. For I would have not known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetedness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin, producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Today we talk about the right law. So just a, a quick preview of the sermon outline today. We're going to talk about the right law, sin, and death. So hang on to your pews. This could be a bumpy ride. The right law. To draft the Declaration of Independence, the Second Continental Congress appointed the Committee of Five consisting of Thomas Jefferson, John Adams, Benjamin Franklin, Robert Sherman, and Robert Livingston. The declaration was written between June 11th and June 28th, 1976. And on this day, in 1776, July 2nd, Congress voted for independence, and they published the declaration on July 4th. We are in a land where laws can change. Laws about parent rights in education, abortion, same-sex marriage, all kinds of different laws change on a regular basis, and we expect laws to change. Depending on which political party is in power, we approve of or are greatly disturbed when those laws change. And so it should come as no surprise that 
some would find God's unchanging law to be an aberration and therefore inappropriate, out of date. Some church denominations begin to reset social issues based on shifting cultural standards. There is a limit to the law, Paul describes. It's only valid until death occurs. Paul says this, Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. He says, For a married woman is bound to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she's released from that law of marriage. And we still have those words in our marriage, right? Until death parts us. See, death releases us from the law. The contract is void. Paul says, The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. As he obey, be righteous with God, and you can be right with God. Only we cannot obey. And if we think we can, then, then we are self-righteous, which really is as far as righteous as you can get. You are actually at war with God. And being at war with God is a battle that we cannot hope to win. And so here's the result. It's either give up, give in to sin, try hard and fail and lose hope, try hard and believe you can and have a false hope, try hard Realize that you cannot. Repent and find true hope in the right promise of God that you can be made right through faith. See, there's only one way out. To have God count our faith as the righteousness of Christ. To when we realize our sin, fall on our knees in repentance. To know our deep need to be saved. To know our sin. Maybe we get numb to this diagnosis that we are a poor, miserable sinner that we repeat over and over again. Maybe it just gets to be old hat, routine. The very first time someone hears the word cancer, it shakes you to your core. We should have that same experience when we come face to face with our sin. It makes me think about Peter's sermon at Pentecost, this Jesus whom you crucified, and it led many to be cut to the heart and cry out, what shall we do? Paul says, for sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it killed me. So the the enemy tempts us to sin, to violate God's law. And he he does this in so many ways. He tempts us that it's not that bad. Or he tempts us that he won't hurt anyone or, or no one will know or find out. The enemy tempts us to believe that we actually deserve to enjoy life and that God's law is just meant to restrict us and hold us back from that enjoyment. He tempts us in pride that our sin isn't as bad as somebody else's. He tempts us to focus on the sins of other people so that we don't have to look at our own sin. He tempts us to believe that some sins are worse than others. 
He tempts us to believe that we deserve God's grace, but certainly not our enemies. He tempts us to believe that some of God's laws are outdated, socially irrelevant, or even offensive and bigoted. And then it said, sin sees this opportunity. For those who have participated in addiction recovery, you've learned that addiction is cunning and baffling and powerful. I had a friend of mine who also added patient. Right? It waits for the opportune time. The enemy and our sin, they're looking for someone to devour like that prowling lion. He knows our moments of weaknesses when we are more prone to give in to temptation, when we're hungry, angry, lonely, tired, and stressed. Sin seizes the opportunity. Unless we think that sinning is just something that we do, a mistake that we make, Jesus shows us that all of the Ten Commandments refer not only to our external behavior, but our interior condition of brokenness. Jesus said, in effect, you've heard it said, do not murder, but that means that we shouldn't be bitter or hate our neighbor either. See, when you read through the first of the Ten Commandments as they are written in Exodus, you could think of them simply as external things that you should or should not do. And you could easily tick them off and feel like you are alive spiritually. I love to, to make a wager with our compromands that all of them have broken all of the Ten Commandments and they're quick to go, no, 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 I'm not even married, how can I commit adultery? But by the time we go through, they realize every single one of them has broken them all because of who we are on the inside. Not just the things that we do externally, but what we think about, the broken condition of our heart, of anger and lust and greed. So you can read the Ten Commandments like that, at least until you get to the last ones. The last commands are those that cannot be reduced to an external sin, something that you do. So you, you shall not covet has everything to do with inward attitudes, heart issues. To covet is to be discontent with what God has given to you. Coveting is not merely wanting, it's an idolatrous longing for more, for more beauty, more wealth, more approval, more popularity than you currently have. You see, even if you could keep all the other commandments externally, Jesus taught that we all continue to sin with our mind and with our hearts. It's inescapable, at least until death happens. See, we need transformed lives of forgiveness and freedom from this sin. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said that freedom is never voluntarily given by the oppressor. It must be demanded by the oppressed. See, Satan is not just willing and glad to hand us over to Jesus. He doesn't go down without a fight. Christ on the cross demanded our freedom from sin. See, the law binds us until death. 
Patrick Henry's speech on March 23rd, 1775, with a famous line, give me liberty or give me death. Well, Paul would say, Lord, give me liberty on account of your death. See, God has this desire to release us from bondage to sin. And he knows that the wages of sin is death, but he doesn't desire your death to accomplish that. For it is the death of his one and only son. And it's the death of Christ that we are connected to through the waters of our baptism that we share in his death that has released us from sin. Likewise, brothers, Paul says, you have also died to the law through the body of Christ that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. You see, the law reveals that we are bound and married to a life of sin, but by being connected through death, through the death of Christ, that bond of marriage to sin has been null and void. And instead now we are bound to Christ in a transformed life of freedom. Now we belong to him who was raised from the dead. Paul continues, but now we are released from the law having died to that which held us captive so that we may serve in a new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Now, while we were once living in bondage to sin, our baptisms have set us free. Christ died in our place, nullifying sin's marriage to us. Like a dog returns to his vomit, we still like to go back to our sin, even though we are saved. But it's fruit Sin's fruit that leads to death is no longer our fate. Because when we do sin, we grow in this repulsive response that we have. And we quickly come to God in repentance and seek his promise to forgive, asking for strength to resist temptation in the future. The right law reveals our sin that leads to death. The right law. See, Paul has this beautiful picture and understanding of the right law of God. That he doesn't come to hate it, but he comes to love it, to love the law. Paul says that the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. The law is holy, righteous, and good. Holy, that it is set apart for a very important purpose. And that purpose is to reveal our sin and lead us to repentance. It is righteous. By the grace of God, he imparts his righteousness to us by faith, and we are indeed released for a life of freedom. So that we can say, where, O death, is your victory? Where is your sting? You see, the law is no longer an impossible task for us. It's a spirit-empowered life. Showing love to God and one another. It is holy and righteous and good. Whenever I hear the word good, I think back to the account of creation. God steps back from his work. He looks at everything. 
And he knows that it is exactly the way that he envisioned it in his mind. It is perfect. It is good. He says the same thing about the law. The law is good. There's nothing wrong with the law of the Lord. There's no law that is out of date or in need of correction or adaptation. And there's no part of God's law that Jesus has not already fulfilled in our place. He is perfectly good, just like Adam was before the fall. And so we're not to ignore the law, either in the Old Testament or the New Testament. See, we need to know how to show our love to God. We need to know how to show our love to one another. We need to know how to encounter the best life possible this side of heaven. See, I want to learn the law, to love the law, because it's no longer bad news that leads me to death, but it is prescriptive plan for showing love. And it points out the errors of my ways of where I need to change and repent. Now, it is true that God's law is unchanging and can be highly offensive to today's culture. There is a strong need to teach the law clearly and truthfully. We need to hear it. We need to know it. We need to measure ourselves by it. We need continual repentance and renewal. We need a map for showing us our journey of loving God and one another. And we need to share this message with our community. They need to know the law of God. The challenge comes in how do we do that? How do we speak the truth in love? To love somebody who believes something differently. To love somebody doesn't mean we approve of everything that they do. After all, that's how God loves us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So how do we show love? Even accept that somebody is where they are in that moment. Without approving of. Or reinforcing. But speaking truth in a loving relationship with them. The law, perfectly fulfilled by Christ. Sin, completely forgiven by Christ. And death, totally overcome by Christ. And may this bring you peace that passes all understanding in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.